invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. We continue our Sunday morning sermon series through the book of Exodus. This morning, coming to Exodus chapter 17. This morning, looking at verses 8 through 16. Exodus 17, looking at verses 8 through 16. If you haven't brought a Bible with you this morning, our passage can be found. Our passage can be found on page 59 in the pew Bibles and the pew racks in front of you. We saw last week. Uh, that the Israelites came to a place called Rephidim, where uh, God provided for them uh, water from a rock. And here we have another test, still at uh, Rephidim, as we see in verse 8. Another test, they have been tested several times, Since they have gone into the wilderness and God has defeated the Egyptian army, but they have all been tests related to food and drink. Now this test is a human test. So let's look together at Exodus 17, beginning in verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. God, how we thank you that you are a a great and mighty God. How we thank you that you are the the ruler of all creation. We thank you, O God, that you 
in the Lord Jesus Christ have defeated all yours and our enemies and will do so once and for all. And so, O oh God, we pray that you would help us to know that you are strong and mighty. As we come to your word this morning, teach us from it, we pray. Help us to rest and trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certain animals, mountain lions being one example, that attack prey that are the most vulnerable, the injured, the sick, those that lack strength. In fact, that's what bullies do generally. They prey on the, the weaker, uh, the, 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 the cowards, etc. Generally, bullies are cowards and gutless themselves because of what they do. And that is exactly what we see here with the, uh, those from Amalek. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 25, which describes this scene in a little more detail. Deuteronomy 25, looking at verses 17 through 19. We read this, Moses is recounting this scene later on for the Israelites. Deuteronomy 25, beginning in verse 17, remember what Amalek did to you on the way, on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, cutting off your tail, those who were lagging behind, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Notice that when you were faint and weary, uh, he attacked you and cut off your tail those who were lagging behind. We don't see that explicitly here in our account in Exodus chapter 17, but that's what he did. As we begin, I want to point out, we'll come back to this, that spiritual attacks, brothers and sisters, often come when and where we are most vulnerable. Spiritual attacks often come when and where we are most vulnerable. Now let's look at this passage together. First of all, we see Israel's battle. Israel's battle. We see in verse 8, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now, these are the first 
human adversaries since Egypt, since God had defeated the Egyptians at the Red Sea. And it is significant uh, who Amalek is. They are uh, actually descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. Uh, So, in a sense, cousins of the Israelites. And it is unclear why they attacked the Israelites here. The text doesn't tell us. The later texts don't tell us either. We do know that the uh, the the, Amal- uh, the 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 Amalekites uh, were um, nomads. They lived in this particular area. Uh, perhaps they felt threatened, especially with regard to their water supplies. There were oases in that particular area. There were also caravan roots. Perhaps they wanted to guard their their caravan roots, and we've got this massive amount of uh, people, the Israelites, that were um, uh, traveling on those particular routes. We don't know. The text, again, uh, does not tell us, but they come uh, at least to, to fight against, or at least to begin to fight against the Israelites, at least uh, those at the very end, the tail end of the Israelite uh, people. But anyhow, it is time for Israel to fight, we see in verse 9. Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out to fight with Amalek. And Moses says, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Look down to verses 13 and 14. Uh, We see uh, that, uh, uh, sorry, go back to... Um, it is uh, time for Israel to fight here. Verse 9, uh, God says, Moses says, choose men to go out to fight with Amalek. Remember back in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, misread my notes here. Back in 14, 13 and 14, God had said, the Lord will fight for you. I will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Now, it's time for Israel to fight. The Lord empowers, but Israel fights. It is time for them to go to battle. And here in chapter, uh, in this chapter 17, we see in verse 13 that Israel is victorious. Verse 13 says, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So this is the victory, the first of many victories in battle. So God has fought for them, but now the Israelites have to fight their battles, but of course, by the power of God. This is a picture of the Christian life, a picture of the Christian life Our salvation, our justification, is all of God. Living the Christian life, our sanctification, is one in which we work, we strive, we battle. 
Charles Spurgeon says this, he wrote this, The children of Israel were not under the power of Amalek, they were free men. And so we are not under the power of sin any longer. The yoke of sin has been broken by God's grace from off our necks. And now we have to fight, not as slaves against a master, but as free men against a foe. Moses never said to the children of Israel while they were in Egypt, go fight with Pharaoh. No, not at all. It is God's work to bring us out of Egypt and make us his people. But when we are delivered from bondage, although it is God's work to help us, we must be active in our cause. Now that we are alive from the dead, we must wrestle with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness if we are to overcome. Here he references, of course, Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's who we are. Soldiers marching to war against sin and darkness. Calvin in his Institutes writes, We have been forewarned that an enemy relentlessly threatens us. An enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon and of skill in deceitfulness, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon and skill in the science of warfare. We must then bend every effort to this goal. Let us not be overwhelmed by carelessness or faint-heartedness, but with courage Rekindled, let us stand our ground in combat. Too many are not willing to fight the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And too many fall by the wayside. Brothers and sisters, we must be strong in the Lord and encourage one another to be strong in the Lord. Secondly, significantly in this passage, we see God's staff, Israel's battle, but significantly we see God's staff. Look at verse 9. Moses, again, tells Joshua, choose men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, we have seen this staff from the very beginning, of course. It's Moses' staff, but from back in chapter 4, 
It became the staff of God. We read that Moses goes back to Israel with the staff of God in his hand. It's because God uses, in a sense, that that staff. Uh, It is used in the plagues. And, And Moses goes. He goes to the top of the hill. Now, this is an interesting thing here. Moses is the one who's leading his people, but in a sense, he leaves them in a precarious situation. He goes up on top of a hill, not with his people. The leader is is gone, and he's leaving behind him slaves who actually have absolutely zero military experience. But that's the situation that we have before us. Yet in verse 11, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed, the text tells us. The importance of holding up the staff. What's going on here? Of course, this is not magic. It symbolizes the power of God. But it's that there's something more here. There's something more than simply holding the staff of God. It doesn't just symbolize God's power. It's important that Moses holds it up. Verses 11 and 12 tell us. And I think the importance there is the holding up corresponds with the lifting up of hands, as we often see in Scripture, in prayer, corresponding to prayer. Holding up hands is often a symbol of intercessory prayer. As Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I want men everywhere to hold up holy hands in prayer. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 63, I lift, in your name I lift up my hands. It is significant that at the very end of the armor of God passage in Ephesians chapter 6, it ends with a call to prayer, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The significance of prayer. There are some in this congregation who have, who have and are still in certain ways serving in the military and we're thankful for them. But all of us are to be engaged in spiritual warfare. And a key aspect of that warfare is prayer. Prayer. John Piper has famously written, prayer is primarily a a wartime walkie-talkie, he puts as he puts it, for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief 
It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. We see here the power of of prayer. The power of prayer here in Exodus chapter 17. Look at verse 16 at the end of this chapter. Saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. What does that mean? It's This phrase is difficult to translate in the Hebrew. And your Bible may read, if you don't have the ESV, it may read something difficult. But I think the ESV translation is most likely right. And I think the sense of it here is something along the lines of a hand upon the throne of the of the Lord to, to lay hold of God's throne of grace in prayer. To come boldly before the throne of grace, in other words, as we read elsewhere in Scripture. Come boldly in prayer, which is what God invites us to do, which is what God calls us to do. Notice the importance of prayer at least symbolized by Moses holding the, his hands up and holding the staff up. When, when he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. That's the picture here. And so what was the remedy? Aaron and her came alongside. Her. We don't know exactly who her is. He, he seems to be either the son or the husband of Miriam. Aaron and her came alongside and and held his hands up, which, not to get too seeing symbolism and everything, but we also do need people to come alongside and hold us up uh, in in prayer as well, holding each other up. Jesus, of course, in the pray in in, when, in in Gethsemane, as he's praying. Rebukes his disciples. Watch and pray. Could, and he sees them sleeping. Could you not pray with me in the garden? And I'm about to go to the cross. Could you not do that? How important prayer is. When people would come to New Park Street Church, or what would become Metropolitan Tabernacle, Charles Spurgeon would famously take them to the the basement, and he would say to them, this is the powerhouse of the church. Why? Because he would take them to the basement, where there were always people down there on their knees, Praying for the ministry of the church, the powerhouse of the church. We pray. God works through prayers. He gets the glory. So we see third in our passage this morning, the Lord is my banner. Look at verses 14 and following, the Lord is my banner. 
banner, the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. A memorial, that is, write a historical record. I will utterly blot out. This is something that actually is going to happen, but it's going to happen much, much later after many, many battles that Israel has with Amalek. And then verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. What is a banner? A banner was a military standard, a memorial or a a rallying point, we could say. It would be a reminder of the past and something that would give hope then for the future, would serve, of course, on this week, perhaps we can relay it to serving as a a 4th of July, 4th of July celebration, fireworks, flag out, as we had out this uh, Tuesday, Uh, something to point to an important event, remembering our past, giving hope for the future. A banner would typically be a, a pole in the ancient world with a cloth, or a flag at the top. But notice here, it's not that. It's an altar, not a pole. In other words, it's a place of worship. In other words, they're not celebrating their own victory, even though they fought, but God's. They're celebrating because God has won the battle. He has done it all. Humans fought, but the victory is the Lord's, and so they exalt him. Of course, this is what we are are called to do. God has won the ultimate victory. We have ongoing battles to fight, but only by God's power, not in our own strength, only by God's power. We also have important banners, places to to look and places to remember. The Lord's Day, of course, is vital for us. Remember the Sabbath day, the fourth command, set it apart as holy to the Lord, vital to committed Christianity. The cross can be a, a banner as we sing, lift high the cross or onward Christian soldiers going forth to war with the cross of Jesus going on before, etc., etc. But set times of prayer are also an important banner, if you will, for us. They are also ways that we remain strong in the Lord. It's also a way that we remain less vulnerable to Satan's rearguard spiritual attacks. Remember, Satan attacks when and where we're most vulnerable. 
And that happens when prayer is often neglected. When we're most vulnerable, it's when we've often neglected prayer. Joel Beakey writes this, Prayer is critical because every piece of the Christian's armor is useless without it. Prayer is like oil. Just as every part of an engine is useless without oil, so every part of the Christian warfare is vain without prayer. Fighting Satan without prayer is like David fighting Goliath in Saul's armor. The armor doesn't fit, and it is ineffective against the blows of the enemy. Pray, prayer is the means by which the whole is effectively used. As the hymn puts it, to keep your armor bright, attend with constant care, still walking in your captain's sight and watching unto prayer. Or as the William Cooper, the other one, the other one's uh, hymn puts it, restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Let's pray. Our God, how we praise you and thank you that you indeed are our banner. Oh God, help us to look to you, to rest in you. Help us, O God, to pray to you without ceasing. We ask that you would, as we look to you, O God, and pray to you, uh, give us strength. Uh, Make us strong in you. Make us strong in your might, O God, that we might move forward as those who love you, those who seek to serve you, uh, those who, O God, want to be faithful to you and love you. Uh, Keep us, O God, from the attacks of the enemy. Help us, O God, to be faithful as we continue to move and serve you faithfully all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.